Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, Hamilton is preparing as it gets ready to reopen more services. Paul Johnson is going to join us to talk about that. CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi remains hopeful that the league could have a season this year, although it will be a shortened one. Announced the league is aiming for a September return and a different format for the Grey Cup. What are the economic impacts of that? We'll delve into that. And experts are saying that the COVID-19 pandemic has exposed the vulnerabilities of Canadian economy. How are we going to fix this and how are we going to address this? We're going to get into that in just a few minutes. Glad you're with us. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Last night uh, here on 900 CHML on Cable 14, there was another virtual town hall with uh, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger and, of course, the medical officer of health, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Richardson and Paul Johnson uh, from the Emergency Operations Center. And they talked about, part of the conversation anyway, about going forward and the sorts of things that uh, that we could be seeing here in Hamilton. We've talked about the provincial rollout of Phase 1, Phase 2, and Phase 3. What's Hamilton going to look like, and how's that going to happen? Well, Paul Johnson, the Director of Emergency Operations for the City of Hamilton, joins us to talk about this. Paul, how are you doing this morning? I'm, I'm doing okay. A little disappointed there won't be summer football in, the, uh, in Hamilton as a season seat holder, but uh, like you, Bill, it was uh, good to hear the commissioner yesterday just talk about how things are going, and I'm, I'm happy that they're not pushing things. Keeping people safe is obviously job number one, whether you're in sports or municipal life. Well, I, I don't want to delve too deeply into that, but just since you and I are both huge fans, and there's so many, I mean, the fact that he's, he's basically said if there's a 2020 season, the Great Cup is going to be in the town of the team that had the best record. Well, there's a possibility then, because of I think we got a pretty stacked team this year, uh, we could have two Great Cups in a row here in Hamilton. Yeah, and I suppose that's the other good news thing. And you are looking for good news stories in, in whatever is happening on a daily basis. And the fact that uh, Hamilton confirmed for 2021 uh, still is the Great Cup site host is uh, is great news. And then, uh, obviously, for all the teams in the CFL, it's now a coin toss about uh, who's going to get it, and we got as good a shot as any. So, I, you know, we start with that to say that there there are things we need to continue to say as as, as good news and and a reality that we will we will get back to some of the things that we love to do. It's just going to take us a little bit of time. And whether it's the CFL, whether it's recreation, whether it's business, um, you know, it's all about how we move back to that safely. Well, and let's talk about that. And I, I having a discussion with some folks about this yesterday after the show, and I, I think the consensus we kind of came to, whether it's the provincial program we're talking about here or some of the other ones, and now the municipal one that you're going to address in just a second here, Paul, uh, I think what we all as citizens and community members have to remember here is we're on probation. Uh, you know, in other words, you're saying, okay, let's try this, but if it doesn't work and if we see that spike, uh, the Premier said it again yesterday in his briefing. I mean, he says I'm, I'm, he's very alarmed about the numbers he's seen since they started phase one, and he says if it doesn't, if it doesn't get better, we're going to pull back again, and, and that's something we have to keep in mind. It's definitely something we have to keep in mind. And, you know, Dr. Richardson had a, had a great line. I think she used it last night, which is, you know, these eight or nine weeks of a really significant close down of our community have really been a training uh, portion of time for, for us as a community. As we start to get back to some of the things that we uh, were doing in a lot uh, fuller way uh, in January and February, uh, we have to use the training and use it well, or it's going to take us a lot longer to get back to doing more of the things that we like to do. And that training has been about the importance of physical distancing, the importance of hand hygiene, the importance of not touching your face, and the importance of if you are sick, do not go out. Call your physician, call public health, get some advice, 
and go figure out whether you are actually, um, uh, you know, whether you need to be tested for COVID. And if that happens, then wait for the results and then take it from there. And the last piece, uh, you know, of course, is if you can't <clears throat> maintain your physical distancing, now some strong recommendations to wear a mask. Um, my mask protects others from, from me and their masks protect uh, me from them. And those are the kinds of things we need to think about. That has been the training. As I say, these aren't particularly difficult messages, but to be honest, they, they quickly seem to disappear once people start to get back into uh, whatever routine they're in. And, and um, if we don't do it well, uh, we will see some of this contracting back. But that's exactly why it has to be a slow process. It's exactly why you can't throw the doors open, literally, to all these things. It's why some things we just said are not going to happen. I hear the province talk about overnight camps in the summer. Uh, and even whether day camps can actually go or not in the summer will all depend on what our case uh, count looks like. Uh, my trips uh, since uh, I've started this isolation basically have been the odd time to the pharmacy to go pick up some stuff. And uh, so, in, in that limited experience, though, I've seen, in, in, and of course, just looking out the window here, uh, an awful lot of people already using the, the face masks, Paul. Uh, and I know that I saw on social media today there's some pushback because of what uh, what Dr. Williams here in Ontario uh, and and of course Dr. Tam on the federal level have said about this that now it's advisable. But as I mentioned in my commentary about an hour or so ago at eight ten this morning. Uh, Contrary to what some of the critics say, well, these guys don't know what they're doing. They can't make up their mind. It's because we know more about the virus than we did back in February. And now we're saying, yeah, there is a benefit to the face mask. And I think a lot of people are erring on the side of caution and starting to use gloves and masks a lot more than they did even back in those early days. Right. And we should we should follow the advice. I mean, if we were to wait until we know everything about this uh, this virus, I mean, uh, you know, it would not be that would not be a wise way to go. I think we update information and and I am quite comfortable that sometimes we're, uh, you know, we're we're strengthening advice or or perhaps uh, modifying advice based on the medical information. I'm quite comfortable with that because that lets me know that people aren't just living in what the situation was in February and March. They're living in the situation of what they know. Uh, yesterday and the day before and and are hopefully hopefully trying to keep us from from heading into dangerous territory and so I, I i think we need to give those folks a break and we need to realize that the other side of this is we knew we couldn't stay completely isolated and i, I hate the term lockdown because we weren't locked down but very much constrained in what we we're doing in communities we can't stay like that forever but this is a virus that thrives on contact it thrives on people being together it thrives on surfaces where multiple people touch it thrives on us not being able to keep our hands away from our face as much as we try to and the reality is what can we do to give the best protection and stop that spread and so i think as people start to go back and do things uh, that's why you're seeing this masking advice uh, shift and change and i i think it's a great thing uh, you know as, as one additional measure but it does not you know it does not take away from some of those other things that the best way is just to keep that distance so those droplets can't spread uh, and, and then we'll be in much better shape. So many different angles to this, too, and, and I know that you guys talked about this during the uh, the, the uh, virtual town hall and have it over the last couple of weeks, but let's let's focus a little bit about about what you talked about last night and going forward. Now, we, we talked from the provincial standpoint uh, when the Premier said last week, okay, golf courses can open up, and a number of them did. A lot of the privately run courses here in the Hamilton area uh, were packed, I guess, uh, last Saturday when that opened up. The municipal courses have not yet opened. I think King's Forest opened this week, didn't it, Paul? It did open yesterday, okay. and uh, we, we put in the measures in place and had a great response both to the measures, people taking their time and understanding that, that this is different, the new reality of 
of golfing uh, is a bit different, and our staff were prepared and did a great job. So it works smoothly, and, and that's what's really pleasing is I think that things will change. And part of last night's conversation uh, with the community was that the new reality is that almost everything we do will look a little bit different. You're still going out and golfing. Uh, I'm still going to be in the woods and the sand trap more than I'm on the fairways and the yeah. greens. That's <laughs> not going to change, but I'm not going to be two in a cart. I'm not going to have the ability to go in the restaurant afterwards and sit down and, and share all the stories and things. It will be a bit different. Our staff will be interacting differently with our, with our customers. Uh, there's a plexiglass screen where you go and pay to protect, uh, protect people from each other as you have to pay for the golf. So those are the things that change. That is what new reality looks like. But uh, the other good side is, though, we can start to enjoy some of those things. So we are putting up tennis nets in, in, in all of our outdoor tennis courts because, you know what? Tennis is a sport where there's lots of physical separation, and it's mm-hmm. uh, those types of activities that we can. We want people to use more of those sports fields and park amenities. Uh, we just have to do it in that safe way, and, and I think we can get there if we, if we just remember what some of those basic concepts are. Well, and I know that you talked about this last night, too, about the athletic facilities and, and the recreational facilities. We talked about the golf courses, of course, and the tennis courts. Uh, and we saw this the first couple of uh, mild days of a week or two ago, too, people wanting to run over and, and shoot some hoops. Uh, you can do that, but you can't do it. You can't play pickup. I mean, in other words, you want to go out there yourself and shoot hoops, knock yourself out, have a great time. But you don't want basketball games going on because that, that really kind of flies right in the face of what you're trying to do here about, about physical separation. It is. I mean, uh, I, I can go out and I, you know, distinctly remember, uh, you know, either with my sister or with my with my dad, you know, shooting hoops, and we can keep a separation. And I remember those days. You can't when you're playing three on three, five on five. That's not what we're here to do. This is not licensed for leagues to start to, you know, slowly get back to maybe playing some 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 unorganized or unstructured games where they're calling together their folks that uh, usually play baseball in the summer, soccer in the summer. Nothing to do with that. This is about having more space for people to kick a ball around, play catch, uh, you know, shoot a few hoops and those types of things. We have to keep active in Canada. We don't have huge windows of time where the weather is really good. So, you know, let's, let's use, um, let's use these opportunities. Uh, but there is with restrictions. And again, that, uh, you know, we, we're going to hear this a lot. We're going to use it a lot. New reality is go out and enjoy the things you do. It's just, it's got to be in a different way. Absolutely, and and just a word of the wise too. Paul will be out there uh, with his Fox Forty whistle, blowing anybody off the court there that's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Absolutely, you, yeah, it's, in, it's in your uh, DNA. It's in your DNA, new, Paul. You can't do anything about meaning, that. Yeah, only meaning the technical foul. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and, and by and large, I, I, I am noticing a lot of folks are trying to do that. There is the odd person that's not paying much attention to the physical distancing. You know, when they line up at the stores or whatever the case might be. And I've heard anecdotally about an awful lot of this stuff. Uh, one of the questions I want to ask, and I, I, I was in and out last night because I was on the phone listening to the town hall, Paul. Uh, availability of the face masks. Uh, an awful lot of people say, "Where do I get these?" I mean, you know, I went to my shoppers or my Rexall or whatever, and I, I just—they don't seem to have them. Where do you buy these things? And I, I know a lot of people are doing it online, but I, I, are you comfortable and confident that the, the production is going to be ramped up there so they are going to be readily available? Because even if you have one, by the way, uh, you should be washing it or replacing it. You can't use the same one time and time again. No, you can't. There's lots of good guidance about how to do it, even lots of good guidance about how people can make some of their own. Uh, I do think you'll see a tremendous ramping up of this now, and, and the great news is that people tend to fill the space of, of, of new needs in communities. And when it comes to the non-medical masks, 
uh, where they don't have to go through a, a stringent, rigid testing from a government perspective, there are relatively easy rules to follow. So I think we'll see a lot of those. And it's a reminder to the community that even these are face coverings. We talk about sometimes the cloth masks are sometimes the easier ones to, to, to use. But, uh, you know, even a, even a scarf or other things right now will do as you're waiting to uh, find out where to purchase or, or going online and waiting for that delivery. Uh, but there are, there are all sorts. And, and um, you know, not to dominate with the sports themes, but even uh, I know referees across North America had a program. I've received some. They're, they're actually the stripes of a uniform of a referee, but also by buying one, I provided an equal number of those masks to, to uh, uh, healthcare facilities and uh, for their use and handing out to people. So there's lots of things that are going on. I think people will have access to these types of, of supplies. And I'd encourage people to get out and have them, even if you're not using them a lot now. Um, they, they're, they're reusable, they're washable, they're that kind of stuff. And what we're saying is be ready to use it when you don't feel you can have that physical separation. This is what's going to change, Bill, is more things in the community will start to happen. So there will be more people in places uh, where there wasn't before. We are starting to see businesses open. We are starting to see people get back to work. Transit will become busier. And those are the areas where, you know, you should have it because you may find yourself in a situation where you're not able to keep that two-meter separation. And uh, for everybody's protection, it would be great to see everybody uh, masking up in those circumstances. I got it. In, in, I got a confession to make here. I mentioned I had to go to get a prescription filled the other day, and while I was, I, I thought this was the day after you know, or a couple of days, I guess, after the premier had announced the, their phase one. And I thought I'm just going to scoot over to Indigo and see if they're open because you know I've been reading a lot, obviously, in my spare time. Yeah. And they were closed, uh, but the guy did come to the door. And he said next Monday we'll be open. He says we've got to get the store ready uh, because there's obviously a different protocol now for doing business this way. Have you had that discussion with some of the small business owners, restaurateurs and others, Paul, about what they're going to need to do when they finally do open their doors, about the things they're going to have to do? You mentioned about the, the screens and, and the plastic uh, barriers that are going to be put up. There's a, a substantial amount of work that would have to be done. Yeah, there is. And, and, you know, Dr. Richardson's been involved in some of the chamber's work, so talking to businesses, small and large, about how they can be safe and operating. And we're here uh, through particularly our public health unit to, to provide that kind of advice and support. But, you know, that is the challenge, and that's why some things didn't open fast. Uh, and and even the premier himself said, you know, don't open unless you're ready. And mm-hmm. part of what we're bringing next Wednesday to, 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 to council is, a bit of our plan about how some of our services over time as a city will start to go because all of them need some level of modification. All of them need proper rules in place around how our staff will be protected and the public who interact with the services will be protected. And so just like small businesses and large businesses, uh, the city of Hamilton is having to look at all of those things. And some people saw examples of that. If you went out golfing at Kings Forest yesterday, if you're golfing at uh, the Shadow courses as they open this weekend, uh, you'll just see it is not the same way it was last summer. And uh, that's going to stay for a while. The other piece that we really want to stress for folks, uh, it'll be there in our report, and, and I've been stressing it for a while, but I'll stress it again, is this virus uh, is, is not on its uh, downward trajectory in terms of it disappearing as a virus. It remains in our community. It will remain in our community for quite some time. Uh, and until we have that immunity strategy, whether it's treatment, vaccine, or something, uh, we're going to have to have some of these measures in place. And, and that's an expectation that it's, it's at a minimum a number of months uh, some people are saying it, you know, it could be up to a couple of years. So those are the changes that are made. And 
anybody who's thinking of opening a business, running a service, uh, as we are at the municipality, take very seriously these measures that need to be put into place, because all it will do is, is uh, if you don't, potentially put people at risk, your customers or, or those who use the service. But the other side is it puts you at risk uh, as, the, as the business owner or the operator of a program and ultimately will cause probably a closure for some period of time, which no one wants. So that's that's the message. And, you know, if people do put the time and energy into it, I do think there's a way for many uh, businesses to, to get going and be successful. And then, of course, with the mayor's task force, we're going to try as a community to make sure that businesses thrive as best we can in these challenging times. Look forward to the conversation next week when you start rolling this plan out, Paul. Thanks so much for the time today. Stay healthy, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Same to you, Bill. Thanks very much. Paul Johnson, Director of Emergency Operations Center for the City of Hamilton. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I spent a party yesterday afternoon listening to a CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi with his virtual town hall. It was a note that was sent out to season ticket holders right across the country in all nine CFL cities. Uh, and there were some interesting points of view there. We talked about the Grey Cup, and it's not going to be in Regina. Well, it could be in Regina, but it's, it's not going to be a scheduled. Uh, the team with the best record in a, a shortened season is going to host the Grey Cup. So that's going to be this year. And the festival itself, which is usually a week long, is not going to happen at all this year. Uh, there's a number of different changes that are going to happen. Uh, but uh, Commissioner Ambrosi had a couple of different scenarios to talk about. And, well, guarded optimism, I guess, is the best way that we could maybe categorize what he was saying. Here's a little sample of it. The truth is right now we don't know how this is going to play out. That's why it was so important to rally around several scenarios that uh, would give us the possibility of playing if we can. And, of course, we are aware that the the very real possibility exists that we won't play this year. But as they say, uh, hope springs eternal. Well, uh, let's talk about that. Uh, What would a shortened season do? And I'm talking about the economic impact on cities like Hamilton and, and others. Uh, and what would no season do uh, for the CFL and financially? And I, I guess even optically for the league, too. Joining us to talk about this is Dr. Moshe Lander, who is a senior lecturer at Concordia University with an expertise on sports field and on the economy. Uh, Dr. Lander, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today. My pleasure. We have never seen anything like this in professional sports before. I mean, we, we've had seasons that have been interrupted. Uh, you know, in 94, of course, the baseball season was canceled because of a player strike. That's the year the Expo should have won the World Series, and we're still bitter about that. But th- we've th- this whole thing, a medical emergency like this, which has had this much of an impact, uh, this, this is a gut punch to professional sports at just about every level, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it's not just an economic problem, right? It's it's a psychological problem too. A lot of us are wandering around lost with without that uh, sports fix. And right now, of course, would be the exciting time for us in Canada, where you'd have the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, uh, the CFL season would be gearing up. The Jays would already be uh, a month into the season at this point. So uh, we we really are in that sweet spot in the in the Canadian schedule where. Uh, we're, we're trying to find a way to fill the gap, uh, both uh, mentally and, and and with our money too. Well, and because the, they're tied, to the two of them aren't they? The, the financial end of things and the other one. I mean, you're absolutely right. Let's go back about a year uh, when the Raptors were making their run, which ultimately, of course, uh, resulted in the NBA championship. The whole country was crazy about this, and and bought, people were buying Raptors memorabilia, going crazy. TV ratings were through the roof. I mean, it was it was the perfect storm i guess in a positive way for everybody involved in that sort of thing and you compare that right now and and people really don't know what's going to happen if anything's going to happen and that's still an option that nothing might happen 
Yeah, you know, the, the economist John Maynard Keynes once talked about the idea of animal spirits kind of driving the economy. And, you know, when, when the Raptors were doing well, much as I was actually cheering for Golden State, but I could see in the rest of the country, <laughs> uh, you know, everybody was, was so excited. And, and, and that spills over into the wallet, too, then, right? You, you, yeah. you feel a lot better about yourself that uh, you don't mind spending a little bit here and there. Right now, where all of us are afraid and uh, there's so much uncertainty and then we're lacking that sports fix, uh, you know, we're keeping the wallet much closer to home. And, and so it really does have that spillover effect where it's just it's, it's doing a lot of damage. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's why the CFL at this point is kind of saying, well, we hope to be there in September uh, rather than just flat out saying it's not happening this year. CFL is a different animal, though, than, than first of all, the NFL, even Major League Baseball and the NBA, and I guess to, even to a certain extent uh, in uh, the National Hockey League, because the CFL of all of the, those leagues is the one, I guess, that there's most reliant on, on selling tickets. It's who comes through the, the turnstiles. I, they do have a TV contract, certainly with TSN, uh, but not to the degree uh, and that, that has the same impact as a lot of the other professional sports do. So this is, uh, this is going to be difficult, which is, I guess, you know, a nice segue into the fact that the CFL right now is asking the Canadian government for assistance and uh, and and trying to put that case forward. Uh, Commissioner Ambrosi was before a, sem- or a, a parliamentary committee, of course, a week or two ago, talking about this. Is there a business case for the government getting behind the CFL to keep it afloat? No, not really. Um, you know, there, were, there was something kind of opportunistic, I found, in, in what the CFL commissioner was saying. But on the one hand, he's saying that, you know, without a season, the, the league collectively stands to lose maybe 10 to $20 million, which is probably a reasonable number. Uh, but then at the same time, he's asking for $150 million in support. Uh, you're basically asking then for somewhere in the neighborhood of seven to 10 years worth of uh, coverage from the government there. So it kind of smelled a little bit fishy uh, that, you know, what exactly are you asking for here? And um, given that uh, places like Calgary are going to be looking for a new stadium in the next little while, why use up your political capital on uh, an overly large ask when you could have been much more modest in what you asked for and use some of that capital to help leverage the city to, say, for example, subsidize a stadium uh, in the next five to ten years. So, you know, I, I, I don't think that the CFL is in as bad a shape as the commissioner made it sound, but they're certainly not in good shape if they miss a season, but I think they're even in worse shape if they try and put on any form of a season. Well, they've talked about a partnership with the federal government, and, and, and Commissioner Ambrosi wasn't really clear on how that would actually uh, pan out, but uh, I, I guess co-investments, I'm, I, again, we're only speculating at this stage. Uh, but talk to us about the fabric of this, and I know that a number of people that have, have d- jumped into this debate have talked about the importance of Canadian football, Canadian identity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, not, not getting swallowed up by the American uh, media monster that's uh, on the other side of the border here. Is, is there some validity to that? Um, I don't buy into it. You, you know, I, I think that we tend to get a little carried away with the idea of Canadian identity and, and uh, that sort of thing. But, you know, if that were really truly an issue, I would expect that a lot of consumers would put their money where their mouth is. So, you know, the fact that Hamilton for a while there had a, a very questionable uh, model there on the way that they were running. You remember the, the Grey Cup appearance where they really didn't even have an ownership group. Um, in place, uh, and their kind of financial viability was, was in question. You know, if it really were a Canadian institution, if it were really were something that we were truly, truly proud of, uh, you, you would expect to see a lot more gate revenue being generated. And, and the fact is that that's not happening. All of the new constructs for, for stadiums are much smaller than 
the old stadiums used to be. Ivor Wynn was much, much more cavernous than the current stadium is. So, you know, the idea is that uh, I, I think that's just something that we kind of do to make ourselves feel better. Or if there were government money put forward, it's a way that we would justify it to make ourselves feel better, that we're, we're defending something Canadian, uh, but not anything that we want to do individually when we have the opportunity. But smaller size stadiums is really a trend in professional sports anyway. I mean, uh, you know, maybe with the exception of Dallas, because they do everything big in Texas. But, I mean, smaller baseball stadiums, smaller football stadiums, uh, you know, more intimate atmospheres than, than they did in the past. We're looking for the seventy five or 80,000-seat stadiums anymore. No, but there's a difference between the NFL and the CFL, which is the NFL makes tremendous amounts of money through their TV contract. And so uh, you don't need to cram 70,000 people into – uh, you know, Three Rivers Stadium in Pittsburgh, for example, and you can get away with a much more intimate Heinz Field because everybody's watching at home and everybody's putting tremendous amounts of cash um, into a TV deal that's paying out billions and billions of dollars. Uh, the CFL does have a TV contract, but it's certainly not paying the bills. And the fact is that for at least the publicly traded uh, companies where we can see how they're doing, 50% of their money essentially is coming from uh, game-related activities not from uh, things outside of the stadium itself. So uh, it's still a really big chunk. And even the commissioner himself yesterday was saying that they really do need to rethink the model because they are overly reliant on fans showing up at the gate. Uh, and I know they've been trying to do something about that, and uh, those are the discussions I guess they're going to have with TSN. But that that is the reality right now, fans through the gate. And, and as uh, Commissioner Ambrosi talked about yesterday, uh, Doctor, even if they do go uh, with a, a shortened season, uh, they're talking about possibly doing something after Labor Day and playing right into December. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess all of the teams now have done some sort of calculation about uh, to account for physical distancing, just how many people they could put in the stands, uh, which obviously is going to be considerably less than a you know a capacity crowd. Uh, that that's that's got to be somewhat problematic for the league. It's a huge problem. So again, if you look at the three teams that have their uh, financial information put out into the public, you'll see that their their salaries uh, for the players are roughly about fifty percent of their expenses. And their revenues are roughly 50% from game day uh, tickets and concessions and things like that. So you're basically talking about that the actual uh, field itself is being basically paid for by people in the stands. So if you reduce the number of people in the stands, uh, then you're basically running each game at a loss. So if you're going to play, say, a 10-game season, uh, or let's say a, you know an eight-game season, you play every team once, four at home, four on the road, uh, and then go to the playoffs, the fact is that you're not going to be able to generate enough money. And even when they're talking about social distancing, you're talking about in the seats. Now try and imagine whatever limited number of fans you're talking about, say 5,000, um, how do you get them through the main gate? If everybody has to stay two meters apart to get through the gate, uh, you're, you're talking about a lineup that could take hours to get people through. And uh, while tailgating is fun, I don't want to necessarily be told that I have to arrive three hours in advance because I drew the wrong ticket number uh, and I can't arrive just in time. Same thing going out, same thing going to the washroom, concession stands, all of that social distancing is going to become a complete nightmare uh, beyond just physically spacing people out in the seats itself. It's the logistics of uh, putting all of the people through the stands itself uh, and getting them out. Which is a, a problem that uh, I guess just about every poor sports league is going to be facing these days, whether it's baseball or the NBA or whatever, or even NHL. We're not even sure how that's going to roll out. Uh, but it, with that mi- in mind, and, the, and the, obviously the problematic circumstance that would ensue, 
uh, it's still got to be better than no season at all. I mean, I would think, and, and I don't know the contracts that, that the CFL has with TSN, for instance, Doctor, but uh, if there's no season, uh, does TSN get their money back? Do they say that's enough of that? There's a lot of corporate sponsors that have hopped on board in the last number of years with the Canadian Football League. Uh, that all adds up as well. Uh, did they simply say, don't worry about it, we'll just hold it off until next year? Or are these guys going to find themselves uh, in a situation where they're going to have to return some money? Um there could be even lawsuits that come out of this, right? It, it's going to be a matter of how much of a corporate partner really are the networks and the corporate sponsors. Uh, if they're saying, you know what, we'll just push it forward a year and don't worry about it, well, okay. If they say, wait a second, we want our money back, well, you know, the CFL doesn't have any money right now because they're not generating any revenue. And so that could pose a problem for them, and it could really push some franchises to the walls. So they're they're going to have to sit down with those corporate partners and figure out, what do we do? If there is no season, you could even see them say, wait a second, we want to renegotiate the contract because whatever momentum there was in the league is going to be disrupted by essentially what's going to amount to 18 months of radio silence, right? The Grey Cup last year in November is going to be the last ESL that we see until, for example, uh, Victoria Day next year. So, you know, that could completely damage the league too. So they might decide that, look, we're going to lose money this year but better to just put out something so at least it remains in the, the public conscience than uh, wait uh, another year from now and hope that everybody remembers, oh, yeah, the CFL was there. There has been some discussions, I'm told, uh, although I'm not getting a confirmation from too many people about this, uh, between the federal government and, and representatives of the Canadian Football League. and I guess the Players Association is involved in that now uh, and uh, with those discussions. Uh, if that scenario that you've just described seems to be the, the prevalent scenario that – and they say, look, we've got to do something here. Uh, is, there a, is there a way, a structure that the government can say, okay, fine, uh, not, a, not a bailout, but a loan, uh, something to tide you over that's going to be repayable to, to at least keep us afloat until you guys get back on your feet? Yeah, I mean, they could probably provide a loan, and the loan would be on better terms than, say, they would get from a bank, right? The, the yeah. government can borrow at a cheaper rate than what a private business would be able to get uh, from your local CIBC branch. So in, in that sense... Uh, it's it's better than the alternative, but the fact is that uh, you know, given that the government is is throwing billions and billions of dollars around to try and prop up the economy, you do face the backlash from the vast majority of people who are not CFL fans saying, "Wait a second, that money could be going to low income households or people who lost their job. Why are we bailing out the the perception of you know multi millionaire owners and?" Uh, to, to protect a game. There's the potential for a, a backlash there, and so I'm sure that the government's going to be very, very careful about getting into the bed with the CFL. Uh, and if, if they do, does that open the door then to the NHL franchises showing up and the, the Raptors and the Blue Jays coming in line too, saying, well, wait a second, if we're bailing out Canadian sport here, hey, we're in this game too. And, and the NHL certainly has a case to make where they can say, uh, a good chunk of the rosters are Canadian-born, so if you're bailing out the CFL because of the claim that it's inherently Canadian, uh, you know, where does where does that stop? Well, and that may well be part of the discussion that's going on here. And and I, I guess, I, and I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest it's it, to a certain extent an unfair comparison to simply say, okay, you've got a guy like a Bob Young or a David Braley uh, that are owning a couple of teams, the new owners in Montreal. 
uh, that seem to be well healed financially and suggest that well these guys can do it. I mean, they've spent and there's I don't think there's anybody in the CFL right now, any one of the owners anyway, that hasn't lost their shirt. Uh, yet they continue to do this. And uh, but the way that I've heard it characterized is, forget about them. They're they're writing the checks to make sure everything's going. But what about the other people that are employed, and not just within the football teams, but the game day operations? Many of those, of course, are minimum wage jobs that they're going to be lost. Uh, one way or another, uh, they're going to qualify for government money. Would it not be better to keep these people employed? Um, well, you know, how much employment are we actually talking about, right? So. Uh, if the government is providing support to them, uh, fine. Um, if they were not being supported, if the league were to try and make a go of it, like I said, I could only envision that, say, you're going to have an eight-game season. So you're talking about four home games. Uh, so, you know, how much money are we talking about that people are losing here? The government might find that it's just better to compensate those people working security, parking, uh, concession stands, and uh, kind of the, the guts of the game itself and provide them with direct support rather than try and wander on with some sort of uh, lead that's maybe half-finished, and um, it it might be more effective that way. If they survive, if they do play, let's let's go down that road for a second here, if we could, Doctor. They play half a season, uh, and the government does come through and say, okay, this is a loan, you've got to pay it back. Uh, obviously the concern here is, okay, are they going to be able to pay it back? And I know we had the same discussion about 10 years ago uh, when the federal and provincial governments kicked in money for the auto industry, and I understand that's not the same as the Canadian Football League, uh, but there was a concern about the impact that it was going to have in situations like that. And I guess uh, at least Chrysler, anyway, uh, uh, paid the money. General Motors paid the money back. I guess one of them didn't in situations like that. But the fact of the matter is, is there seems to be uh, a discussion about, you know exactly how the government is going to get involved in this and, and i guess the, the the overriding question here is do they consider canadian football as as part of a fabric of the same way that uh, that they would other uh, iconic elements of of our society you know the canadian character and things of this nature uh, i'm not so sure that you can make that case for the nhl these days especially the way it's become a united states centric league uh, not so much with the Canadian Football League. Where do you see this going, though? Because they're probably going to have to make some sort of a decision sooner than later on this. Yeah, well, I, I think that the CFL is going to have to lead the way here in deciding that are, are they really going to have a season or not. So as long as you keep dangling the possibility of there being a league, it's really hard for the government to come in with a support package because at this point it's unclear. Are we really going to see an eight-week uh, season with some sort of uh, reduced playoff structure with a Grey Cup? Or are we just going to cancel it outright? Uh, that's going to have an impact then on what they're asking the government for. I think what the government has to expect, though, of course, is that whatever it is that they're providing the CFL in the form of support, they're not going to get it back. Because, uh, you know, for good business practice, fine, you have to pay off your debts. But if the CFL comes back to the government and says, you know what, sorry, we just can't give it back to you. We just don't have that money. Are we really going to see Bill Morneau take over the Thai Cats and Justin Trudeau's going to run the Alouettes? <laughs> Um, there's really no way that the government is going to become the owner of any of these franchises. So it really is effectively going to be a loan in in good faith that just, hey, if you pay it back, great, and if you don't, well, you know, at least we kept this alive. Um, I I think that uh, the government really does need to consider what they're they're getting themselves into. I said that the NHL and NBA and MLB would be um, the, the, you know, possible line as well. But then add to it, say, uh, the National Lacrosse League or Canadian Basketball League or uh, Canadian Soccer League. There's all kinds of franchises that start lining up. And, you know, maybe that money is better put into other aspects of sport in Canada 
Um, think of Olympic athletes that lost out this year because of the uh, postponement of the Tokyo Games. I, I just I really don't see a way that the government wants to get into this uh, business in any way because I just don't see a way out for them, and it really is money that's just lost. Well, I'm just thinking of the people in Winnipeg and uh, Saskatchewan who have relatively new uh, stadiums that uh, that were built, and uh, they they got to pay those off because they borrowed the money for that. Uh, so they're going to do whatever they can to try to keep this league afloat. Uh, well, the devil will be in the details. We'll see what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks. Doctor, thank you so much for the time. Great to having you on the show today. My pleasure. Anytime. Take care. Dr. Moshe Lander, of course, uh, from Concordia University. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We talk about getting the economy back in shape. and The Prime Minister, of course, talks about that on a daily basis with his uh, daily briefings, as does the Ontario Premier uh, and Premiers right across the country. But if we are going to make those steps going forward, what's this going to look like? And, and you know, I understand there's certain pressures that are being put on the economy because of uh, the, the virus and because of the pandemic. But it's also exposing some of the weaknesses in our system that were there long before COVID-19 became part of our, our, our lexicon here in this community and just about every other community across here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of those weaknesses and how the federal government and provincial governments and, and, and of course, uh, the private sector can get involved in this uh, as we move forward on this uh, with, uh, hopefully, an economic recovery. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Dan Bresnitz, who is a co-director of Innovation Policy Lab at the University of Toronto. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today. You're very welcome. I'm, I'm delighted I'm- to be with you. I'm getting the sense from some of the comments that the Prime Minister's made over the last little while that uh, they may be cognizant of some of the things like this, and they seem to be focusing now when, when they start to talk about financial assistance, uh, that uh, they're looking more at individual entrepreneurs, uh, whereas in the past uh, there seemed to be more of, of a, a focus that was going on some of the super clusters and some of the, uh, the, 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 the larger corporations that were seeming to go here. Is this, is this a sea change for the federal government or something that's welcome? It's something that welcome, uh, whether it's a sea change or not, you know, we will have to uh, see within the next year or two. Um, I would much prefer to see it in the statistics and the data than in the daily briefings, as you can imagine. So let's see what will actually happen. We've seen that in the past, and, and even here in the Hamilton area, we've uh, we've seen evidence of, of uh, ep- economic growth with small businesses. We have what we call an innovation factory, which is really kind of an incubator for small businesses uh, that has happened. Other communities, KW and so many others, are starting to do this. Barry has one that just got started a little while ago. Uh, that are basically, I, I guess, the, 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 the growth areas for some of these small businesses. It seemed to be working before the pandemic. Is it something we can pick up again, or are we going to have to reinvent ourselves? So I actually have a very high hope for Hamilton, um, and especially around um, the different, um, and I think you know it, and the University, McMaster University, yes. had a whole long history of a different way of how to teach and treat and manage medicine and health. Uh, there is a growing industry around it. What is much more interesting, in my case, uh, in my opinion, about Hamilton, that instead of trying to imitate Silicon Valley with incubators, VCs, IPOs, and all that thing, where we have to admit that Canada is just not doing very well, uh, there is an attempt to create real companies with different sorts of uh, finance that find real customers, clients patients, whatever you want to call them, that have real needs. You grow the company, you scale it up, uh, and you find real markets. So I'm actually very hopeful for Hamilton if it, uh, you know, would be helped to find its feet again. 
I'm uh, the, quite worried about Canada, by the way, but not about Hamilton. The, the phrase that we used an awful lot of the time, I guess, and when we were talking about some of the things that were happening at McMaster and the Innovation Factory, working with uh, McMaster Innovation Park, uh, which is right across the road from our radio station, so we're pretty well uh, informed about what's going on there, uh, was uh, to monetize some of the innovations that are going on, and that was something we didn't do well. We started, to, I think, to, to actually get a handle on that, McMaster especially, with some of the great medical research that they've done right now. Uh, everything seems to be on hold or on pause right now. Can we Can we restart that? I think we can restart it, and especially if I understand one thing. Uh, the world and how you produce and how you make money, and especially finance, will change. Uh, we can no longer assume that you can get a very large high equity investment, let's say a venture capital giving you a huge amount of money, and within a few years you will do an IPO or be sold. We have to get out of this and try to figure out how we create real sustainable businesses that create jobs in Canada for Canadians. And we do have the finance to do that. We do have the skills to do that. And we do have the people to work in those companies. Uh, and if we do that, I think we'll be okay. If we again try to uh, run after dreams because they are produced in another country, uh, in a system that just doesn't fit it, I think it will end just like the super clusters. A lot of wonderful media interviews and almost nothing on the ground. What's government's role in this whole thing? Uh, is, is it to, to finance this? Is it to, to give them that, that sort of a basis, that, that foundation for this? Or is it really just to, to get out of the way and let these people do what they want to do? Uh, right now, the role of government is bigger than ever before because the system is in a complete shock. So first of all, government needs to give the finance. Government also have to create demand and ensure that there's a long-term demand. Because if I'm an entrepreneur, I will not invest money unless I know that there will be a long-term demand, that this is not just six months you know, uh, in which I can make money on N95 masks. Mm -hmm. I need to know that if I invest in building a factory, for example, I can sell the things I make in this factory over five to ten years. Otherwise, I can't make money. So that's one role of a government. The second role of a government, remember what you said about monetize? Mm -hmm. If you look at how we in Canada treated our invention, what is called intellectual property, it is a disgrace. We are extremely good in inventing things, and then American and Chinese are really good in making money over the things we invent. And we have to change that. And that's another rule for government. Uh, and the last but not least, um, it is more difficult for Ontario's company to sell to other provinces because of different regulations than to sell to the whole of the U.S. and the rest of the world. And again, if we want a recovery, we have to start thinking about that. And every government for both the last 20 years, as you well know, has said, yeah, we're going to address interprovincial trade barriers. Uh, not a whole lot of progress on that scene, is there? No. Uh, and we, and not a lot of progress on regulation that makes it extremely difficult to sell new products developed in Canada. Agreed. Previous to the pandemic, once again, uh, there were angel investors, there were private sector folks that were willing to look for these entrepreneurs and willing to, to, to be there for them. As you say, uh, under the guise that, yes, this is going to be a long-term investment. Are they still out there? 
they're still out there, but we should assume that uh, they have less money and it is much more difficult for them and that the time frame are longer. So we need to figure out a way to get not just public money, but also private money. We have one of the world's richest and most successful and developed financial system, especially in Ontario. Uh, it is high time that we figure out and they figure out how they can loan to small businesses, make them grow and make money on it. Um, it is beyond me why uh, that hasn't happened before. And I think uh, both an arch and both, you know, a carrot and a stick from the government might make it happen. Well, uh, there have been some daily announcements uh, from the the federal government, from the prime minister, uh, about just about every other facet of this, and we'll certainly uh, look with great interest to see just how they're going to approach these problems as they go forward. Uh, Dan Bresnitz, thank you, Dan, so much for the time today and uh, for your perspective on this. Greatly appreciated. You're very welcome. Uh, have a wonderful weekend. And you too. Uh, Dan, of course, is the co-director of the Innovation Policy Lab at the University of Toronto. And uh, some heartening words about Hamilton's economy that he seems to think is in pretty good shape going forward. And uh, we, something we can cling to and hang on to. The Bill Kelly Show. Weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.